to another episode of today's lesson a nick cave podcast i'm andrew and i'm sean today we're going to be talking with you about uh the fifth track from tender prey it's called mercy i think you must mean the mercy seat but we already did that song andrew we did what it says right here it's the just just the one word just mercy just mercy on this one seems like a a pretty gutsy gutsy move to me two songs on the same album that is it's bold and i believe if i'm if i'm referencing my vast amount of nick cave knowledge correctly the only two songs in his repertoire with that word in them and he put them on the same dang album how confusing he blew it all he blew it all on this one and uh yeah i don't know what i'm gonna do with this but i think we'll muddle our way through before we get too deep into uh, what this track means for the album, Sean, how you doing? You know, I'm going to say I'm, I'm right in the middle of the road. It's, it's not too bad, not too good. I just, it's raining, and that makes me happy. But it's raining, and that makes me sad. Yeah, we've had quite a, uh, a sudden shift from 90 degree, those classic... 90 degree September days to these frigid, <laughs> torrential 20 degree November days. And uh, yeah, I don't know what to, I don't know quite what to think about that, even though that is how weather has always been my whole life and there's nothing going on that would make it more extreme right now. That's true. Andrew, how are you? I'm good. Um, I know you made a promise to not talk about the weather. Uh, oh fuck! I think me. I'm off, kind of off the hook since I didn't promise that. But yeah, oh, so we did that. We talked about the weather. Uh, second, I'm fine. Mostly good, and also excited. You're excited to talk about this song, Mercy. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna amend my answer, erase all that what I said about the weather. I'm just excited to talk about Mercy too. Well, it sounds like we're on on the same page. Um, yeah, so this is the fifth track from Tender Prey. As we mentioned, it shares it sort of sort of auspiciously shares the word mercy with the mercy seat. Though this song is very different. Um, this song is a cave slash cave piece. Though I saw some conflicting things online, I checked my liner notes of my officially purchased vinyl and it is said to be cave only pretty much everyone here is involved musically uh we got harvey blixa kid congo powers roland wolf just the classic classic crew everybody's doing stuff thomas fiedler on the drums 
guest backing vocals added by Hugo Race after uh, adding guitar to watching Alice. Mm. So it's a full it's a full group, and I think I think it shows. I think you can hear that. Yeah, no, you can you can certainly feel it. There's actually um, I was wondering in a couple spots what the hell was going on because there are so many noises happening, and yes, not all of them totally discernible. That's a great point. There is always something going on now. Maybe the structure isn't the most complex thing he's ever done, but there is a lot uh, going on in a in a a lot of complexity in terms of layers. You know, you don't just have Cave's interesting, uh, you know, vocal performance, all his twists and turns here, but you have almost with every phrase of the song, just like a new sound that just kind of travels past. That's a that's a good way to put it, um, especially with what I assume is more harmonica. Um, it really does feel like a train barreling past us and even more train-like than some of the train-like harmonica we've heard up to this point. Um, some just some fascinating sounds coming out of out of the instruments. And I did have a question for you. There's there's a middle bit where everything just layers in. We got the piano, we got guitars, we got harmonica, and then there's like a there's like a whoa 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 sound, and I have no <laughs> idea what that is. Is that the backing vocal? Uh, you know, I think, I think we might be ta- thinking of the same thing. I think that's uh, it. Kind of sounds like a saxophone or a woodwindy sort of thing. Almost, yeah. Yeah, uh, I didn't see that credited. Whatever that is, in the in the extensive list of things that are on this song, I did not uh, was not able to tell what that was. So, hey, listeners, if you got uh got any ideas, what the hell that weird sound is maybe it's a stringed instrument maybe it's woodwind maybe it's god who knows right in let us know what is that thing what is that instrument mystery instrument and uh bonus points if you can tell us who is playing it and uh bonus points if you have one of those things and can give me one and bonus points if you can play the song exactly as it's recorded on that instrument and send it to us uh bonus points if <laughs> sorry um yeah it's uh aside from our our mystery instrument though we do have uh nick on vibraphone and harmonica harvey on bass you have blix's slide guitar uh during the chorus is adding a very ethereal texture to the song the drums to me i think are really striking there's those kind of driving toms, you know, you're talking, you mentioned like a train sort of, you got this repetitive driving tom beat and then kind of those lines of toms end on this gated snare that sounds like it could almost be a sample. Oh. It, it has a bunch of reverb, but they cut off the end of it. So it sounds like it just ends very suddenly. Interesting. I'm going to have to pick up on that next time because uh, all of my attention is taken by the, uh, by the piano which I think yes. is kind of leading everything, but the piano and the, and the percussion together just create this, this intensely foreboding, intensely um, melancholic atmosphere that just, as you say, drives, drives and encompasses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The piano definitely is the driving melodic force. Um, you've got the fluttering harmonica kind of, uh, you know, rising above everything and fluttering about over your head and, yeah, it's just considering how how compact and uh, sort of low fidelity a lot of these songs are production wise. This one really shines. Yeah, it's um, reminiscent to me, feeling wise compared to the rest of what we've heard so far on the album, and 
probably what we're still to hear um, of Up Jump the Devil when it comes to just that that feeling of, of completeness and fullness, however that was produced, um, creates a very different sound than kind of the, the tinniness we're getting from the Mercy Seat or Deanna. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's uh, that's sort of our, our musical take on this song. I, I would say a uh, maybe maybe more richness musically than lyrically on this one potentially but there's there's plenty to mine here in terms of the lyrics yeah excited to dive in because as you say it's you know before we start maybe the lyrics themselves are not are not super deep i don't think there's much to like uh ponder over as to what is happening to the characters etc but um i like this in its contrast especially to the earlier track the mercy seat and just caves overarching views about philosophy and, and ethics and mercy. Um, I think that this is pretty foundational to where he goes later in life with those concepts and, and where, how we see those come through in his music on later albums. And so conceptually, I think this song has a lot to offer. Hopefully we will do it justice in our discussion. Yes. Yeah, definitely a lot of through lines um, from stuff like this and watching Alice, uh, Musically and, and thematically, you know, stuff that's come before, stuff that's come after, maybe more so than some of the other songs on this album. You want to get us started with verse one? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let us dive right in. Verse one of Mercy. Uh, I stood in the water in the middle month of winter. My camel skin was torture. I was in a state of nature. The wind, sir, it was wicked, and I was so alone. And just as I predicted... My followers were gone. Mm. Andrew, what's uh, mm. what is uh, what's going on here? Well, there's a lot to to unpack, and there's a lot of stuff that we're going to sort of address, you know, in a couple of different contexts. Um, the first thing immediately that that strikes me about this is just, you know, the the beginning. It's him setting the scene, right? Uh, we've had lots of interesting locales throughout uh the songs we've talked about so far this is just a very sort of stark bare bones description of a person and a place you've got standing in the water in the middle of winter basically obviously not uh probably not this guy's first choice of a thing to be doing in the middle of winter camel skin was torture you know more on this more on this as we go and sort of examine this in other ways but we basically have someone that is um, out in the elements. Yeah, wearing um, little but but an animal hide something. It it immediately begs the question of <laughs> what he's doing out there and why, um, which I think we get a little bit of indication of um, from the line, the wind, sir, it was wicked. Um, he's talking to somebody, and the way he describes all of this strikes me as as kind of, pleading his case to someone so even before we get into like the next few verses or know anything more about you know the the how mercy plays into this it really does feel like someone kind of creating a a pitiable image of themselves as to you know how they came to be wherever they are and and whoever they're speaking to um trying to perhaps play up what it was they were doing um standing in the water but then the question is you know who who is this guy why is why is he on the elements? This just kind of throws us in, like like uh, someone into cold water. Um, a story of of somebody 
seemingly being tortured by a state of nature. Do you have any idea who the speaker might be? Yeah, I think there's there's some things that you can can draw from. Most a, a lot of them kind of come later in the song, but um, well, I like what you said. There's a sir. He's talking to someone. He could be talking to the listener. He could be talking to a, another party. But it does seem like he's recounting something. And with a lot of these cave narrators, you you may not be able to take everything at face value or or take what he's saying as the truth. But the the idea of being in a state of nature, not just being surrounded by the elements, you know, talking about the the wind and the water, but likely not being clothed, <laughs> potentially, even though he's got a camel skin thong, perhaps some sort of uh, <laughs> some sort of uh, skimpy. Is that what that means? I th- that's how I took it. Um, yeah, it's just a very woe is me passage. There are a couple things though that do sort of. We like to analyze a lot of this stuff through just sort of a lens of, hey, what's on the page, you know? Uh, we don't we don't necessarily always want to go into Nick's, Nick's life or, uh, you know, draw nothing but illusions. But there are a couple ways I think you can take this song. And, and the first one that I would bring up is sort of this idea of, I've uh, been seeing a lot of this online, but you know, with the with the idea of the camel skin and and uh, the idea of followers, does kind of have like a, a sort of old timey, perhaps biblical connotation. And and the name that kept coming up uh, in my research was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a sort of he was a prophet uh, of God and and sort of the um, the appetizer, if you will, for. <laughs> The main course that that ended up being Jesus, he was a he was a precursor and sort of a uh, you know someone who who spread the word but kept himself you know out of it not not you know he had followers and he had people that he would preach to essentially but he never was like yeah it's me I'm the I'm the head honcho like he he sort of paved the way I guess for for Jesus and. As we'll get into later, that story does have some relevance and uh, parallels to what happens to our speaker here. Yeah, so, um, I, I also found that reference um, in a lot of my reading and actually towards the end of my research. And so I had kind of looked at this through a totally different lens then went back and went, ah, yeah, probably. I <laughs> John the amuse-bouche preparing the palate <laughs> for the true savior. Um, I think the strongest connection here in this um verse would probably be the standing in the water john was a baptist a a baptizer and and is said to have perhaps even baptized jesus himself and would do so by dunking people in the water and so if he's standing there doing what he usually does but knew that his followers would leave him once you know a new a new messiah came as he was well aware would would be coming and often told people that he was definitely not the, he, he was a prophet, but he wasn't the son of God and that the son of God was on his way. And so he was happy to hand off to Jesus. Jesus did actually end up taking a number of his followers directly. So this kind of strikes me as almost a, a fun twist in a very cavian way in that we see a lot of cave in his songs. As you say, we don't like to dig into his life too much, but it's hard to separate when he's the one writing these songs and a lot of them are about him. But he also has the the tendency to compare himself to biblical figures. Um, there are a couple songs where it's very clear, you know, it's the Christ-like comparisons. And so this takes the comparison, I think, of of himself, as we'll 
probably see later or can just infer um, to John the Baptist, but also gives it kind of a twist because everything I read about John the Baptist was kind of that uh, willingness to step aside and say, it's not me, I'm just doing God's work, you know, there's a guy coming. This almost strikes me as somewhat resentful, or at least he doesn't have the discipline of an ascetic like like John the Baptist. And so he's, you know, whoever he's pleading to, um, he's kind of complaining here, which I, I don't think John the Baptist would do. And so it, it feels like the connection is there. I think we have enough direct textual connection to make the leap and say that this was probably in his mind, the John the Baptist reference, as well as a reference to himself. Um, however, putting his spin as he usually does on these things in the process. So we'll, we'll see how the song develops. I think the references to kind of to himself are maybe a little bit here, but I think most of that comes later. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. As far as biblical stuff though, that's yeah. Good, good point. I definitely see some, resentment and bitterness um you know standing in the water in the middle month of winter you know maybe that's maybe it's uh the lord's lord's birthday uh you know maybe it is sort of the remembrance of him baptizing jesus if you believe that's something he did or that any of these people were real so yeah it could just be him ruminating on the the worst day of his life when he actually <laughs> had to uh, you know, witness this this replacement be brought into the world. Interesting. Yeah, kind of like a confessional. The stuff you won't read in the Bible. Get the <laughs> real story here. Behind the scenes. This is the stuff the Council of Nicaea doesn't want you to hear. <laughs> but yeah, and, and just as I predicted, my followers were gone. Yeah, a lot of them eventually would leave for for Jesus. Um, and any any biblical texts that we might have to support that this is John the Baptist would suggest that he wasn't bitter or, you know, was hoping this shit would happen. And, of course, Cave's going to twist a little bit. And so to bring this back to the camel skin thong, uh, as you said, when I went <laughs> coming full circle here, um, when I saw that, I thought it was some kind of water skin, but that was where I really fell yes. into the um, John the Baptist references because the Bible directly talks about John the Baptist wearing. Well, actually, it's it's camel hair. He wears camel hair, uh, I believe, a vest of some sort and and a very lacy thong. But uh, I think that that is another direct reference to to this character. Yeah, hard to find a lot about camel skin just as a reference that didn't immediately return, you know, some kind of John the Baptist thing, to be honest. I mean, yeah, I, I had the same thought. I thought it was like a some sort of canteen or some, uh, you know, cave stuff is full of shit I've never heard of. So, but this leads you right to it, sort of. I didn't realize that anything was made out of camel skin. I guess it makes sense. Um, it's an animal with skin and we love to uh take that from the animals and, and make stuff out of it but i don't know i've never i've never encountered a camel skin garment or or other carrying device of any kind well it places us somewhere places us somewhere that maybe maybe isn't uh isn't as familiar maybe it's across the pond yeah uh moving to the chorus i cried mercy mercy on me have mercy on me mercy on me and I got down on my knees. Yeah, very just simple chorus. Just a really repetitive um, 
you know, backed up by the the whole band chorus that just shows this person kind of at the the end of their rope, really just asking God or whoever for for kindness, for mercy, for I don't know, to be saved. Like at this point, we just don't really know. Yeah, we don't, and it, it's the first time we will ask ourselves the question: What does mercy mean in uh, in this context? What does mercy mean to Cave, and what is what is meant? when the character does kind of hit rock bottom, it, it really does seem like they are from that first verse. They're freezing cold outside, wearing very little and uh, everyone has deserted them and they, they have nothing left to do. And so I, I assume this mercy is a plea to God. I don't think it would be a plea to whoever the person is talking to now. Again, this feels like a recounting of something that has happened. Yeah. That's a good distinction. Yeah, when it when it comes here, it feels like mercy is um, perhaps more akin to the mercy of the mercy seat. Maybe the person is just so sick of their situation and the the pain that they're in at that moment that they need um, some salvation in whatever form may come. And that that may be too dark a reading of it, but um, there's there's little else here. It really does feel like a desperate plea to to whoever would listen and give them some relief from what they're going through. Yeah. Uh, moving on to verse two, thrown into a dungeon, bread and water was my portion and faith, my only weapon to rest the devil's legion. The speak hole would slide open. A viper's voice would plead a voice thick with innuendo, syphilis and greed. Ooh, Ooh. that's that good Nick Cave shit. Love it. I love that voice. Yeah. His delivery in, in this verse is incredible. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. Um, and kind of this this immediately kind of gives us an answer to the mercy this person received. It appears that they were arrested for uh, whatever it was they were doing. In that I got water, mercy which, for you, son. <laughs> right into the clink. That's right. Well, at least you're not naked and alone in the river anymore. This, this to me, immediately conjures images of knocking on Joe. Um, this verse really sends it back for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I th- I think uh, yeah, the incarceration element. I I get very similar uh, images in my head listening to this song as knocking on Joe, maybe even the mercy seat. Um, very cave is very concerned with the carceral state. Very much so, and this was around the same time he was involved in the production of um, Ghost of the Civil Dead. So, you know, very much asking the questions of what it means to have a carceral state, um, what it means to, you know, incarcerate people and, and what that looks like when we provide them with some kind of mercy or rehabilitation or whatever we might. Um, and he's generally pretty down on the concept, I think. Yeah, I mean, and 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 not to mention the uh, Jack's shadow and all this stuff. Yeah, it, to, to add to that uh, and to add to the maybe autobiographical element of this song, Nick was, uh, you know, arrested for, uh, you know, using illicit substances. He'd had some overdoses. There'd been some busts. Uh, I, I don't know that I feel that the, that that element is as strong or as vital as something like the, the biblical illusions we see, but that uh, was at least on his mind at the time. I think when he talks about his followers being gone, 
there's an element of that too like how people are kind of leaving my work behind people are abandoning me i'm going through going through hell and maybe this is his cry for mercy uh if you want to you know probably overthink it but um he it's definitely on his mind at least i i don't think that's an overthinking of it at all um i was an enemy is some interview from around this time um or directly after where cave basically described this album as a big cry for help and you know listening to him talk about the production of it he really was at that rock bottom and so i I have no doubts that this song is is a direct allusion to whatever it was he was going through in that context, which you know when when put up against the story of John the Baptist makes this part e- even funnier to me because it it really is that cavian ego driven narrator that is is you know hitting rock bottom and taking more of a an insolent tone kind of like a a defiant tone whereas um Reading about yeah. John the Baptist, I think it was you know quite the opposite. It was someone who was prepared to lose his followers, prepared to hand off the um, reins to someone else, prepared to you know the whole reason he was killed was because he was um, he had talked shit on King Herod, who had like remarried his brother's wife, I believe, and uh, that was that yeah. was no good. But it was it was for a really you know very it was a very principled and moralistic stand that he took that ended up in his incarceration and death. Whereas here, you know, the contrast between them is, you know, Cave was was drugged out and probably resentful that people, you know, would think less of him because of that, um, and probably resentful that people were leaving him in these in these dark times because of what he'd given so far, and not to plumb the depths of ego too much or speculate too much, but probably what he knew he could still deliver. Um, an artist like him, I I can only imagine would would believe themselves to have a lot to contribute. And, and to be hampered by the state like that would be devastating to him um, and cause him to draw these, you know, parallels between he and these biblical figures. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, thrown into a dungeon. Bread and water was my portion, obviously. The uh, the bread and water conjures more of a, a jail. And you have, uh, yeah, like you said, John the Baptist being thrown into the... Uh, into uh makar makaris <laughs> makaeras makaris probably uh which was a hilltop palace slash desert fortress in jordan oh man some of these biblical things are so fucking sick it's incredible there's a there's a picture of this place it's pretty sick <laughs> but we do he eventually is you know executed beheaded uh this this speaker slash you know, Nick from an autobiographical standpoint does not meet the same fate uh, within the song necessarily, but this does seem like a situation where they're imprisoned with the intent to be killed. Nick maybe sees the writing on the wall with his own uh, addiction. Obviously, thankfully, that didn't come to pass, but, you know, visions at least of, of death, not just perpetual imprisonment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, Another contrast to Mercy Seat, by the end of that song, it almost felt as though it were a mercy. The speaker felt terrified to die because of, of the judgment that would come after, but was almost accepting that it was a mercy to die at in that seat. That was, you know, the mercy of the world, and that was as far as you took it. So far in this song, it really feels like the speaker is not so much resigned or taken by surprise by that 
but more aware of the whole situation and really looking to get out of it. I don't think that death would be the mercy this person is seeking necessarily. Um, and I, I don't really have anything directly to point to there, but, but the delivery, the feel, everything within the song feels more like the speaker is, is coming from a self-righteous place where they, you know, believe themselves to not be deserving of the fates that they are being handed. Um, but that the mercy would be to sidestep those. Does that, I don't know. Are you feeling that at all? Yeah, I, I don't read him as wanting, you know, death or mercy as death. I think he wants to to live for sure. He's maybe self-righteous, not in even like a bad way that that can be used. Like I think with these cave narrators, you know, we're we're down on him a lot, right? But I think this is, this is one that I'm kind of more interested in, more, I'm rooting for him, you know, a little bit. And, you know, perhaps it's because we don't know what they did, <laughs> you know, it's the sort of thing it sounds like. Exactly, hey. They're crawling around and they get thrown in prison. We've been explicitly told some of these other dudes are doing some some heinous stuff, right? <laughs> or did. And compared to that, I, I want to see this guy win. I just want to see a dub. I want to see a dub for this guy. Um... And uh, Faith, My Only Weapon to Rest the Devil's Legion, similar to Knocking on Joe stuff we pointed out. Yeah, maybe that's a little self-important. But it's keeping this guy sane. He doesn't uh, want to just be killed. He doesn't want to just fade away. He's got his faith. He's got a weapon. He wants to fight. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he sees things around him, I believe, that should be fought because the only other person that we really see in this song is whoever is is talking to him through this speak hole and what's coming through is a viper's voice and obviously you know reference to the devil the the snake the deceiver um with you know whatever they're asking him to do and they're he says they're pleading with him so it's not really a command it's it's trying to get him to do something um thick with innuendo and syphilis and greed and so we get you know big big sin in imagery here and the syphilis uh reference i think with this next chorus i'll, I'll go into this a little bit more but uh given long enough syphilis can make you go fucking insane and so it, it really strikes me that you know this person whoever is talking to him when i think about this is perhaps um an allusion to cave's own life when he's hitting rock bottom if people are telling him or asking him to do things he doesn't want to do and he's kind of dragging himself down here he could see anyone trying to plead with him to do differently, to, you know, go in a different direction as being insane and, you know, trying to get something out of him, being greedy. All these things, all these self-interested things that he's sitting there and trying to maintain this self-righteousness and this, you know, sense of self and, and maintain what he wants to do in the face of that. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, with the Viper, you have obviously biblical... Uh, it's a loaded, the snake is a loaded biblical character, obviously one who would try and get you to do something. You know, the speak hole, that's not a term <laughs> I'd ever heard before, it kind of conjured to me like a like a confessional or a, uh, you know, the little ah. slidey thing on some jails, you know, where they, yep. you know, can, can maybe throw a meal in or talk to you. You know, this, the viper would be perhaps part of the devil's legion. 
And like he said, the Devil's Legion could be his interpretation of other people trying to get him to change for the better. It could be people trying to take advantage of him in a in a state as well, a state like this where he's he's uh, open to suggestion. He's not himself. He's on potentially on drugs. If you want to go to the um, autobiographical thread that we've been kind of looking at, and just uh, just something that that you know from verse one, but kind of continues through here. Um, John the Baptist had described himself as a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Mm. You have that state of nature uh, a line in the in the first verse, you know, the wilderness. But here, you know, it just seems like there are other forces, right? There's the devil's legion. There's this viper. There's whoever he, that unnamed yeah. sir. There's people around, but he just sort of is obsessed with what he's seeing and what he's going through and how he perceives it. So kind of a, a sinister twist on the idea of John the Baptist. Uh, just trying to be a voice of reason for all. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, that's a great lead into this chorus because... Um, you got someone else joining the fray. That's right. And I think it tells us who, or at least the gender of the viper. Um, and so from the first chorus, you know, where he's crying mercy, this next one we have, and she cried mercy. Mercy on me, have mercy on me. And I told her to get down on her knees crying mercy. And so we've we've flipped the script effectively. And thinking about this in terms of John the Baptist, I don't know much about baptism. I've been baptized, um, and I know that we do it to babies, and so they don't have much say in it. But typically, baptism is a choice that a person makes, not being you know guilted into it, not being forced to do it, or told you know you you need to have you need to do this in an offerance of repentance for something you've done in a very accusatory way. Um, but with this flip, this really feels like the speak hole slid open. This person said what they wanted to say, and he's coming right back at him, telling them exactly what they're doing, exactly what he sees them as, and and kind of forcing them to repent using his only weapon that he has that he can still use through you know the the speak hole in a jail cell, completely tied up, um, forcing them to see themselves as he sees them. Yeah, definitely. I think it's. Uh... It is a really sort of jarring turn to have this in she cried like yeah is it the voice slash snake who who is this person uh is it uh is it related to Herod is it uh you know something's relating to the divorce and remarriage is it just someone from cave's life like there's just so many different things it could be but i th- I think your point is is kind of gets to the heart of what's actually important about that which is it's it's almost a a, i'm gonna fight back like yeah get down on your knees yeah absolutely and so coming out of this chorus he's fighting and we jump right into verse three um, where things might take a little turn for him uh in a garden full of roses my hands were tied behind me my cousin was working miracles i wondered if he'd find me the moon faced toward me like a platter made of gold my death, it almost bored me. So often was it told. Ooh, damn. I love, the, I love those last two lines. That's so good. <laughs> it's, very, uh, it's very poetic. It's got that A-B-A-B rhyme scheme. It's just very, uh, it's very poem-y in a weird way. 
it but the delivery really saves it a hundred percent because it's it's very poemy but four of these eight lines end with the word me yeah it's it's internal rhyming i guess you'd say toward toward me bored me behind me find me kiss me hug me <laughs> love me <laughs> and uh we find ourselves now in a garden of some sort full of roses um i i could find no direct reference to a garden of roses i know that judas betrayed jesus in the garden and so on my initial research pass i was kind of looking into that but um i don't know is this just imagery did you is there anything here I saw some some stuff about roses and their their meaning in the Bible, but it just it none of it really seemed, you know, super super firm. So I just kind of elected to leave that behind. But yeah, I think it's it's it could be a reference to that uh, that palace fortressy kind of place. It could be a reference to just this new uh, potentially some kind of rebirth. You know, we've made it through winter. Now we're you know. Now there's uh now there's life. Oh. There's uh in some sense warmth, perhaps. Um but to me this this is more like a time has passed kind of thing. That's a great point. But yeah, as far as like representation, uh, you know, there's thorns, obviously, which I think can hint towards who uh who's potentially working miracles. But yeah, I th- I think I think I think those are maybe the most salient points you can get from that. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, I like the idea of rebirth. I like the idea that, you know, this character, especially with the, the biblical allusions, separates. If you're reading it from, you know, autobiographically from Cave, I don't know if the the speaker has much hope in some kind of rebirth. As it says, my death, it almost bored me. It, it really feels like this is kind of the end. And he's he is over it at this point. Um, whereas I think in, in John the Baptist, I life obviously there would be a definite hope for rebirth in this moment he'd certainly be talking about that so i i think that you know to tie it all together i think that's what the roses might signify is sitting in this garden um reflecting upon perhaps the rebirth after death in in this horrible situation and this character kind of shrugging at that i like that yeah definitely yeah and and again garden loaded loaded biblical imagery yeah, his hands are tied behind him. So it, even if this is a more pleasant scene than the dungeon or the the water in in winter, he does not have agency, the agency that he seems to long for. My cousin was working miracles. I wondered if he'd find me. I always thought he was saying my cousin was working miracles here for a while, and then I listened to Nick Cave some more. And then I just kind of thought, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. He's probably just saying, my cause is working miracles. And that's what I've always heard. So imagine my surprise when I looked at the lyrics and saw saw this. What do you make of that? So this is where my my initial pass to this song went um, in a strange direction. Because, you know, looking for references to... I, I first took this as an allusion to Jesus. And so I looked for Cousins of Jesus, which I'd never thought about before. Um, and where that took me was uh, Jesus did apparently have a couple brothers that people are, you know, on the fence about whether or not he actually had or how they're related to him. Stevis? Be- Beavis, um, Clovis. Famously. 
The three whack wackadoo numbskull brothers. The Gospel of the Stooges, part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> we haven't found those those ones yet. Not yet, but they're out there. I hear. Um, oh, they're real. <laughs> you heard it here first. But where where this took me was uh, one of the big sources of confusion as to whether or not Jesus actually had brothers is that apparently in Aramaic and Biblical Hebrew, the language of the original Bible, um, there is no word for cousin. And so there's a theory, because cousins were referred to as brothers and sisters, that uh, what is meant is that these are actually the cousins of Jesus. And if so, I I was thinking the speaker would have been one of those people, and you have a couple to choose from, the, the most prominent of which I believe was James the Just, And James the Just was actually killed um, by the state for, God, I can't remember what he was killed for. They killed people for absolutely fucking nothing back then. Tax evasion. (laughs) Who cares? Whatever. (laughs) It's just Um, illegal parking on a parade day. And (laughs) they (laughs) took him. The way he was killed was pretty great. the end of the story is it really doesn't relate to this except for that, but I, I do want to share how he was killed. <laughs> they took him to the top of a temple and then threw him off, and <laughs> the fall didn't kill him, and so they started trying to stone him, and <laughs> he wasn't quite dead yet, so they went down to the bottom and beat him with sticks until he died. It was it was pretty thorough. That's the story of James the Just. That's a fun Saturday afternoon. Just taking the guy out to the temple and just making a day of it. It's the good old days. You know, It's we used to be a country or wherever that was happening. (laughs) I don't think that was on this (laughs) continent (laughs) so much, but... What are you talking... Well, well, it was probably a couple states over, but... That's fair. Back then it was all Pangea. That's right. You could walk from uh, Oregon to the Middle East, no problem. (laughs) But anyway, going back to it, my my research on the word cousin here brought me to the fact that there was no word for cousin. And so I don't know if Cave is playing on that or what, but this could simply be a reference to this person considering themselves a brother to Jesus. Because another nuance, brother did not necessarily mean blood brother when it was used. There was no differentiating word for that either. Mm. And so this really could be John the Baptist, about to die, wondering if Jesus was going to save him because he knew Jesus was out there performing miracles. That's my read. Yeah, I, I, I take it pretty explicitly if we're looking at it biblically to be John the Baptist, being like, where's Jesus? Yeah. He's out there doing his thing. Like, I thought, you know, I paved the way for this guy. Where's, where is he now? You know, whether that's in a negative tone on his end or not, you know, this person he helped pave the way for isn't coming to isn't coming to save him. It it appears so. And and I had read honestly, I'd read a a couple of references to potentially John the Baptist actually being related to to Jesus. So I think that's a yes. That itself is a theory that's got some uh, got some water to it. Another Baptist uh, reference, water. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's looking for. You know, in this sense, it does seem like mercy would be being saved in some context, whereas mercy mercy seat, it is likely death. It's a very different use here. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it does, to me, feel like 
this ends in a very similar death to John the Baptist. I thought uh, the platter made of gold, the moon turning into a platter made of gold. Um, one, we've seen the moon turn into a lot of things in these last few albums, but uh, yeah. this time becoming a platter, John the Baptist's head was famously delivered on a platter, and in many of the paintings it is portrayed as a golden platter. Um, so seeing that as you know the ultimate uh, vessel of his of his head post death. Uh, it's kind of funny. I don't know if there's much more to it than that, but yeah, no, I, th- I chuckled. <laughs> it's pretty funny. No, it is. I, I, the idea of the moon facing towards him, maybe it's just him in his last, uh, last moments facing up at the sky as his head's about to be, uh, chopped off. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I think, uh, regardless, the, the speaker here comes to, comes to an ignominious end. Um, and we know that Cave did not, thankfully. And so I think that's where their stories depart, where they begin to diverge. And um, perhaps Cave received the mercy that this speaker has been so desperately begging for. I don't know. Yeah, something to think about. Um, we do also have the yeah those last two lines, my death, it almost bored me so often was it told. That to me feels a little more like something relating to to cave yeah just hearing about it in the tabloids hearing about it in the press you know people are worried about me all this stuff it's become mundane it's like yeah might as well already be dead you know i think with john the baptist this would feel this would feel very out of character to me for what we know about or have read about uh this this potentially a person from history um potentially not that uh it it just really feels feels like this is a a Nick Cave addition to that story very much so and yeah the only tie to John I could think of was if if um John the Baptist were able to see now how many different ways the death was recounted because that was another thing reading mm. through this was there's no agreement on even how it was done or why it was done or where it was done um, with so many of these biblical figures, when we go back and have to read through so many gospels and so many different accountings and all of that, um, much like speculation in tabloids, perhaps as, as someone going through it in the, in the moment, there's no real way to know how it would happen or even in some cases, if it did happen. And so I think that there's a, there's a decent tie there when thinking through just the way we, we understand these biblical happenings. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, taking it in a past tense context. So often was it told, you know. Yep. Speaking from beyond the grave, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I and I think some of this stuff is so specific. You know, my cousin was working miracles. Like, what? What would that have? <laughs> you know, I know we like to sort of take an open approach with this stuff, but without reading that in a biblical context, you know, it's it's just hard to place what that would mean. If it's just a guy in prison, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. maybe that's the idea of family. You know, maybe I've got family with some money or something that can bail me out. But, you know, it's just you have to stretch pretty far not to try and find what these things are referencing sometimes. Yeah. No, and I couldn't find anything on a on a Nick Cave cousin that was on, you know, doing any kind of miraculous anything. And so <laughs> this just doesn't make any sense to me when I think about it in that in that context i did my weekly search for nick cave plus cousin plus single plus <laughs> miracles and i found nothing 
bizarre. Sometimes you just hit dead ends, and so. Well, that's how it is. So yeah, we, we just get back to the chorus. Have mercy on me. I drop down to my knees. You know, essentially, it's the just letting the music kind of do its thing and and bringing in some repetition. That's essentially the end of the song. Very, very reference heavy. It would seem. At the same time, very ambiguous. Uh, there's just so much nature imagery. You know, you have the moon, you have the water, you have the cold, you have the wind, just all this stuff. You have the dungeon, you have the rose garden, all these very uh, very specific kind of uh, settings that are... I don't, I don't know, this, this song really conjures a lot of image images to me i don't know that i'm as interested in reference heavy material but he makes it work man it's 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 a fun listen even though the song and and themes are grim yeah absolutely it's um i mean as you say we get three distinct locations and it kind of forms the perfect uh martyr's journey of being shot on Mm. and then kind of resisting and then being killed (laughs) <laughs> and if Cave sees himself as any kind of martyr, this is, you know, a, a great way to frame it in a song that ultimately makes you feel a lot. And as you say, we, we've talked a lot about the references, but at the end of the day, I, I could, I could just completely leave them and be entirely happy with this, with this song. Exactly. It, it really does set a mood, not just for the whole album. I don't know. It feels, it feels pretty album defining to me. It's a it's an album track, right? It's not like a single, it's not some catchy thing, but it really is meaty. Like this is this is the the meaty inner chunk mm. of the the tasty lobster tail that is tender prey. You've gotten through the shell, you've warmed your butter, you have you have everything your bibs on, your your Deanna bib. You're making the claws like maybe pinch someone else at the table, you've picked it up very funny stuff someone bends over and you just right on the butt and it's hilarious but now it's hot burning your hands hot buttered (laughs) lobster pinching someone's bare ass fresh boiled you can't (laughs) wait (laughs) you pinch the hell out of it yeah so that's (laughs) that's mercy a lot to unpack here i i would say this song more than than maybe a lot of others Send us some feedback. Send us what you think about this song. What are your your thoughts on Mercy? What are your thoughts on uh, John the Baptist? Your thoughts on what Nick Cave was thinking um, in terms of autobiographical portrayal of himself? And what you think about Hot Tasty Lobster? Yeah, I, I want to hear everyone's feelings towards a beautiful lobster dinner. Um, and And bonus points. We've talked about a lot of biblical figures at this point. I'd just like to hear everyone's power rankings for these biblical figures. You know, we've got Adam, we've got Eve, we've got John the Baptist. We're throwing them out hot and fast. Who's your favorite? You know, it comes down to just, you know, who's the best out of all those people? Who do you have and who can who can we do a trade maybe? Yes. Your first edition, Herod. <laughs> We're going to have a tournament here soon. So just, just get your picks in and uh, let us know. March Madness. Sean, yes, that was a great hour of talking about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and this very strange song, Mercy. I had a great time. 
if our if our listeners would like to engage in deep, meaningful conversation, or yell at us for something we fucked up, where can they get at us? They can get at us specifically uh, on the Twitter. We have at today's lesson pod. Tweet at us, yell at us. Uh, Elon Musk owns Twitter now, and so you can literally say whatever you want. Any slurs, any epithets. You can you can email us at uh, today's lesson pod at gmail.com. And if you appreciate what we're doing and want to fund programming like this, you can reach out to us on Patreon at today's lesson. Viewers like you. And Andrew, I, I did I did want to close this out with uh, a recent little essay on on mercy from Nick. So with your permission, I'd like to read something from the recent Red Hand Files that kind of lays out Nick's uh, feelings towards Mercy right now. You you can do that. Uh, I have read the same thing, and I chose not to share it because I thought it was really disconcerting. Well, I'm going to read the part that I think isn't too disconcerting. <laughs> okay. So The part that's not about cancel culture, right? Yes, exactly. The okay. first part where he talks about mercy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so just to, just to kind of put this song in a little context, I think this is a good closer. Um, because mercy is used throughout Nick's music. It's not just this album where he packed in all the song names with mercy in him. But, you know, we, we talk about mercy later on in a song we've referenced and haven't talked about yet, but Song of Joy. Uh, mercy is used as a cloak. Mercy is used as, you know... A reference to death we we talk about what it means to be merciful and so just as an update on where cave stands on that uh he says mercy is a value that should be at the heart ah, i'm not gonna read this whole fucking thing <laughs> never mind we can just end it <laughs> this is a lot all right well wait, let's cut all of that then i'm gonna do a great mercy <laughs> and skip that until next time <laughs> okay Until next time, I'm Andrew. And I'm Sean. And this has been today's lesson. Ah, there it is. Thanks for listening. Yes, thank you all. Bye. Bye.